Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he's so happy that the reprint of the card Darkness has new art by the artist named Darken. It's Matt Morgan. So there's a theory going around that no two people see the same color the exact same way. So I think the conclusion might be that color is a pigment of your imagination. Oh, no. Oh, no. Uh, well, I guess I'm going to have to book two therapy sessions this week. Uh, thank I, you. I, I can see that joke gave you a case of the blues, and that's quite all right, Joey. Uh, either that or I'm seeing red. We'll have to decide a little bit later. I think Dana is just green with envy that he didn't make that joke first. Oh, no. And in fact, speaking of Dana, (laughs) let's say yellow to Dana. Up next, he has heard that there's a new Warhammer card called Sloppity Bile Piper, and he's pretty sure that that's not actually a card name. That's a Shakespearean insult. Yeah, it's Dana Roach. Uh, What did the dad buffle said it was childling left for work? Bye, son. There you go. You got it, Joey. Well played, sir. I'm catching wise. That's right. I, I've known Matt for a while now. I'm starting to to catch on to these, and I'm very proud of myself. You know, we, I, can, we, we can't bully you anymore. I think anymore. that joke was a little off color. Did you say it was off color, Matt? It was off color. <laughs> anyway, this is the EDH Recast. EDH Rec <laughs> is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all of that data just a little more context. Matt, do you mind telling us what it is that we're talking about in this week's episode? Well, we're going to pontificate the great mysteries of Commander and ask ourselves, what if? So what <laughs> if some cards, some questions about the format, maybe we're just a little bit differently and what would that look like? Yeah, a couple of Commander hypotheticals. What if some aspect of the format was changed? How would that affect things? It, it sounds to me like you've been watching a lot of the Marvel stuff that was on TV. Is, is that the case, Matt? I did watch a lot of the Marvels. I appreciated it, but... Not directly. We're not going to talk about, you know, Captain Carter here. <laughs> yeah, no, we've got uh, a bunch of other commander stuff that we, we got to focus in on. And it should be very interesting to see what we would make of the format. Were things ever so slightly different? It'll yeah, interesting hypotheticals. But before we get into that topic, we've got some fun shout outs to do first. First, we want to thank Chase, uh, also known as Manicurves, for their work editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. And if you would like to support the show, you can do so by liking and subscribing to this YouTube channel. We definitely appreciate the free support there. Or if you'd like to support us over on Patreon, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRETCAST, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels. Whether you want to see all the historical challenge stats picks that we have, you want to see all the episodes a day early, there's all that and more, including that beloved shout out that we're going to do every single week just for any given patron, just for supporting us, which we definitely appreciate the support of. And so this week, Zach Ray, thank you so much. I hope people call you the Ray Gun. I hope you can like throw the football super far or super fast and be like, oh yeah, the Ray Gun coming out, going to get you because that would be fantastic. But also, thank you for all the support. Uh, Thank you so much, Zach. I didn't understand all of Matt's references there, but it's possible (laughs) that you did. And I'm sure you'll appreciate that just like we appreciate you. Warhammer has ray guns with the the pew pews. And that makes more sense. I'm on board with it now. Yeah, the the Zach ray gun. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let's... Let's, let's Thank just you, get Zach. Into it. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> Thank you, Zach. Let's just get into our topic. <laughs> we are talking about some uh, EDH what ifs, some commander hypotheticals. And you know what, Matt? I'm going to go ahead and pass it right back off to you. Um, in fact, I think this first point was one that uh, had sort of inspired you to bring this topic forward as an idea in the first place. So mm-hmm. uh, let's let, let take take it away, my guy. My 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 my, my guy. I know how to podcast I, the words. I'll be your guy. That's fine. But yeah, Thanks. so recently, the professor of Tolarian Community College and Josh Lee Kwai and Jimmy Wong of the Command Zone, they had a little Q&A session that kind of pontificated uh, general you know, ideas about the format. What if uh, you started with 30 life instead of 40 life? Anything like that. But a really good question that the professor brought to the table was, what if there were no tutors? And Joey, actually, I'm going to put on our editors. You can just play the clip real quick. There's a nice little sound bite. They... <laughs> give proper context to it. So we'll, we'll just roll this right here. I just have to ask you, do you yes. think Commander, regular Commander, should mm. be 30 life? Ooh, regular Commander, you player? would ask me to mess with the sacred rules <laughs> of the, the most popular and pristine magic format? I would never 
have any opinion on life total, but I do have opinions on tutors in Commander. Uh, tutors, we should okay. not have tutors in Commander. None. Zero tutors. Zero. That includes land, that includes creature, that includes enchantment. Fetch lands? Fetch lands so should you... not be allowed in Commander. Always. That's that right. Way. You got some hot takes that here. That is a hot take. Sizzling so... hot takes. No tutor of any kind should be allowed in Commander. So you think there should just be a blanket rule in Commander yes. that says players cannot search libraries? Bingo. Wow. Bingo. I agree with that rule. I'm and on the so commander advisory done. group. And so it is but done. I'm, yeah. you, you are, I'm not on the commander. rules committee. I can't make any rules. He's I on just the advise them. advisories group. We just shook hands on it. This is the new rule to commander. And if you don't like it, you can write to Josh Lee Kwai of Command Zone. Oh, thank yeah, you. definitely thank write you. to Josh. Do not <laughs> write to me. I will not be looking at your letters. No. Okay, just, let's just bring it down a notch. That was a joke. Thank you, Matt. For the record, I am also our editors. Chase and I both edit the show. <laughs> so I, I like how you had to clarify that. But yes, that that was me. You're welcome. But OK, yeah. So that's a very interesting point that they put forward. Just the idea of no searching of libraries allowed at all. If And, you know, folks there at the table were like, yeah, totally down with that. And I guess I'll also I won't bury the lead. I'm also personally way down with that but matt since you brought up this idea as a thing <laughs> where are you at with it what do you think would happen as a result of if there were no searching of libraries in the commander format uh i i know i personally would love it the the amount of time that is often taken up by shuffling itself searching tutoring all that kind of stuff it, it takes a while and i th would actually very much appreciate just the speediness of the games uh sometimes games can drag out and this would be one thing that's going to speed that process up there are certain decks and there are certain strategies that would suffer for sure. But also, outside of landfall, I don't know any type of strategy that wouldn't just be, okay, we're just not playing any tutors. But also, it, there, so there's the rules of the format and there's the spirit of the format. And I think this 100% coincides with the spirit of the format. There's no tutors. It's a singleton format, 100 cards. Embrace it. And that's what I really appreciate about this take. Okay. So, so first of all, the, the problem with this is it, you immediately cleave off CEDH as a separate format then because that as a format is so dependent on tutoring. Hmm. Um, so, so that's a, th a problem that would arise. I, I think this is a nice idea in theory. I think the reality is a whole different deal because the reality is then, you know, Path to Exile ceases to be a playable card and Assassin's Trophy is no longer a playable card and Ghost Quarter is no longer a playable card. Like there's a lot of, of collateral damage um, that, that would come up on this kind of a ban. I, I, I like it in theory, like I said. I, I have personally moved away from running tutors. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I, once upon a time, I had Demonic Tutor and, and Vamp Tutor in probably every black deck I played, and I don't know if... I think I have one Demonic Tutor left in a single deck. It's just not something I do anymore because that's kind of the, the direction my play has gone. Um, but some people enjoy playing at that at that power level or playing that way, even if they're not playing CEDH. Um, and, and between that and the collateral damage of it, um, of like unintended consequences of cards like the ones I mentioned, it, it's a better idea theory in in theory, I think, than it is in reality. I think if if you want to not play with tutors, you're better served maybe just finding a play group that doesn't want to play with with you know specific demonic tutor style tutors because I, I think. The implementation of this one in particular is just so complex. I, I a thousand percent agree, Dana. It it is great to think about in theory, yeah. But yeah. but in, in execution, I mean, and a lot of ideas oftentimes fall into this category of sure. It sounds great on paper, but when you actually put the rubber to the road, however you want to phrase it, it doesn't get executed nearly as clean or as well as it kind of sounded in theory. Would I love for this to happen? Absolutely. Do I think it ever will? Absolutely not. I, I yep. think tutors are way too ingrained in the nature of the format at this point. Fetch lands are, are very important, even though the importance of fetch lands and shock lands as your mana base in 2015 were pretty important to make sure your colors were getting fixed. We've had all 10 years almost of color fixing and rare land cycles that are very, very good now. So I don't think fetch lands even are all that more important compared to how they were, you know, several years ago. So that wouldn't be that big of a loss there, but the collateral damage that you pointed out, the the, the cards that unintentionally get just made completely unplayable, that's a huge factor on on keeping this from ever happening, which I, I don't think it ever will. 
Well, well, there's a fun idea. There, 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 <laughs> I have a, a funny addendum to the collateral damage thing that you mentioned. First of all, if players can't search libraries as a rule, maybe Path to Exile doesn't go, for, like, it's not that you can't play it. Maybe it's the best removal spell ever because your opponent can't search a library. Like, to, uh, <laughs> right. But actually, I would almost, like, want to hone in on the rule then. The rule for me would be uh, cards, like, players can't use cards that allow them to search their own libraries, for example. Whereas using a Ghost Quarter or a Path to Exile would still actually be uh, your opponent's would still be able to get that benefit. So that might be a way that the rule could be tweaked in that case. Uh, really, I, I think the, I, I guess actually I'll address the fetch lands thing as well. Like Matt, yeah, the importance of fetch lands. Like, so I I just like within the past week and a half or so just switched my Rayhan and Ishai deck over, which is my four color deck. So like mana fixing matters a lot in that deck. I got so bored of using fetch lands in that deck. I just really hated it. And I was very fortunate to have over the years accumulated fetch lands for that deck to go and find like my triomes or my shock lands for the deck. But oh my God, every time that I pulled out that deck to play, I would shuffle. And then on the first turn, I would shuffle again. And on the second turn, I'd probably end up shuffling again. And then I'd play a ramp spell. So I'd shuffle too. And I was just like, this is too much. I'm just so bored of it. And I don't enjoy playing this deck. So um, yeah, I, I took out the fetch lands from that deck and I replaced them with those new Innistrad, like the mid night hunt and uh, other Innistrad like the dual lands the slow lands I think we called them so like overgrown farmland and shipwreck marsh they enter battlefield tapped unless you control two or more other lands and I mean I worried that maybe these would affect tempo maybe these might affect my color fixing but they really haven't <laughs> so far uh, so far I'm feeling perfectly fine with them I don't think it's affected my mana problems in that deck, like basically at all. If anything, I feel like I'm actually kind of saving on life points. My mana reliability has not really been an issue because I still have stuff like Triomes or even the tapped uh, Trilands, like Seaside Citadels and stuff like that, that I can use in that deck too. So the colors haven't actually been too much of a problem. And I feel like if anything, I've just started saving on life. So like, yeah, I've had a personal experience very recently where the fetch lands have really started to like kind of grind on me just a bit. And one last kind of nice benefit to this too if you're not able to search your own libraries, is green loses its monopoly on mana ramp. That's one thing that probably makes green the most played color in all of Commander is you're able to search your own libraries to grab all your mana and do all that. There are still ways to put extra lands onto the battlefield from your hand, but if you're not able to search and do a Cultivate or a Kadama's Reach, green loses a lot of its head start as far as what it's doing with mana compared to the other colors. And so... The, the scales kind of get tipped to be a little more evenly, I would say, if green isn't able to constantly surge up and put lands into play. Yeah, I think that would actually be one of the bigger impacts. Like, Matt, you mentioned landfall. And I think strategically, we would see an impact to landfall. Like, uh, you know, Cultivate is literally showing up in 359,804 decks, John E.D.H. And that's just of the decks that we're tracking, you know? Like, a few decks, yeah. Yeah, 49% of the decks that, <laughs> that can play it seem to be. That's, that's kind of a lot. Like, this would be a big impact, but I I, I don't know. It, it's not that I hate shuffling so much that I'm like, we must change the rules about it. But, like, I, I, I actually don't know if, aside from landfall, green would lose too much of its monopoly there. Because we still have a lot of enchantment and creature-based ramps still available in the color. And I think that would make the games still very interesting, and green would still be very uh, powerful at getting that kind of uh, mana advantage kind of already, even with just the enchantments that can go onto your lands. I feel like green would still probably be okay. Probably not as monopolistic or however the, the word that you, like it's, it's stranglehold on the format wouldn't be quite as intense if it did have, you know, some of those cards like the Cultivate taken uh, taken down. But I, I still feel like it would, like green's power isn't just in its ramp to me at least. And I think it still has plenty of other options. Yeah, in, in Landfall next game, Knocked on a Peg probably isn't a huge problem either considering it's one of the most popular archetypes out there. Have, having an AC Tyrant of Gary Straits deck myself that deck could stand to lose a little bit of its juice, 100%. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, this is interesting. And I still ultimately totally agree with you guys that like this does probably sound better in paper than it does to to actually enact it. It would be messy. It would be difficult. But I am, I, I would be more on the side of, yes, I'd vote for this word a thing. And I don't think that a lot of stuff in the format would would suffer too much. I'd, I'd kind of look forward to what I would replace those searching effects with. I, I'd kind of look forward to having new types of ramp to look forward to. I don't know. That's that, that, That's me. If there was one thing that would make me absolutely not ever want to be a member of the rules committee, it would be trying to implement this as a rule. You know what? Fair. Yeah, we can only imagine the the way that Twitter would explode. I, I appreciate everything that they go through, but I would not <laughs> want to join them for that. All right. I want to bring up another what if situation here. And this is one that gets touted a whole lot. And I, I'm pretty sure that my opinion has already been like very clearly stated on the podcast. But 
Let's do a what if on commander damage, because there's a lot of rhetoric out there sometimes where people like commander damage shouldn't even be a thing. So what do you think would happen, Dana, if commander damage was not a thing? I mean, life gain decks become maddening to play against, I, I, I guess. <laughs> um, to, to go to the point about people who think commander damage, though, shouldn't be a thing, it, it's almost always because they claim that it doesn't really happen. Um, it happens all the time. I, I, I play in, you know, a, a private, like, friend group meta. I play at, a, at, at LGS. I've gone to multiple events this season. I just have regularly seen players lose to commander damage. I think if mm -hmm. you think it doesn't happen, maybe you need to play with a different group of people than the three guys you play with that only win with infinite combos. <laughs> commander damage is out there and happens quite regularly. And I, I, I don't understand where that notion that it doesn't ever occur comes from because it's a it's a regular part of multiple different environments I play in. I, I, I just that that's baffling to me. So I, I'm not that aggressively in favor <laughs> of it. Um, I'm glad Dana is because somebody's got to bring some some clicks to the to the page. Some, some heat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do agree that. It depends on the playgroup. I've I've been part of playgroups where nobody ever won via commander damage was always something else. And I've seen tables that at least every other game was ending that way. It just depends on how that playgroups likes to play and and if that's not how you you and your your friends are playing. Cool, but the, there's people that are playing across all spectrums of the format. Mm -hmm. and, and my biggest criticism of people that say it should be done away with it it pushes back against the notion that it's harder to track and it, it but mm -hmm. really is it any harder to track in 2022 than any of the other new mechanics that are coming out? Um, is, it, is, it, is it harder to track than the dungeon and the initiative and all that? I, I don't think if, so. If you have a mutate card in your deck, <laughs> you don't get to come <laughs> yeah, exactly. the commander damage is challenging. But, but, <laughs> yeah, but, but there's also, there's so many ways and so many new tools to help track commander damage. If you're playing on spell table and you're playing online with your friends, spell table is a tool built in to track that. But also, how hard is it to just get an extra D20 and write on a piece of paper, Dana, commander damage, and track it that way? Like, but also, if you're playing a deck that wins via commander damage, bring extra dice and, and you can point out, okay, I have done this much commander damage against Joey, I've done this much against Chase, etc. So, is it hard? I don't think it's even harder to track than how many treasures most decks are making these days. <laughs> And also, like, like, there's plenty of times I've been in pods where someone hits you with a commander and you're like, don't worry about it. Don't, you don't need to track that. It's never, you're never going to die to commander damage from the stack. And they're like, oh, okay, I, I won't worry about it. Right. And then there's ones where someone, like, hits someone and you're like, that's going to be irrelevant. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. That, that's the kind of thing people can just, like, deal with on the fly. Kind of like those situations where you crack a fetch land and do something else at the same time. So you just tutor up both cards. Like, mm -hmm. it's commander. You can shorthand a few of those things and, and <laughs> shorthand the fact that, like, you're, my commander's never going to kill you. So don't worry about the fact that it just happened to smack you for three damage on turn two. Just big, don't worry about it. Like, we, we can handle that. And I also want to explore, like, not just, like, pushing back against the argument of it, which usually is, like, this is annoying to track. It won't, like, there are plenty of games that don't end with commander damage, so having tracked it throughout the game feels a little meaningless. Like, I see that that point for sure, but I like rules that are there as safeguards, and this is a really, really big one. Like, most games also don't end when a library is empty and a player can't draw a card, but I like that that style, that that rule gives the game a an inevitable endpoint, and it allows for mill decks to be a whole strategy, a whole thing. And that's how I feel about commander damage. It's nice to have a cap on life gain decks because, I, I mean, I play against life gain decks pretty regularly. And when your opponent has 400 life and you have a 2-3 as your commander and not a lot of else going for you, it, it feels a little hopeless. And that is more crushing to me rather than like, if you know that commander damage is a thing, that gives you a glimmer of hope and it gives you maybe it can try a different type of strategy. And of course, it opens up the Voltron strategy as a thing. So while most games may not end with commander damage being involved, or I'm not even willing to say most games, but maybe I am, I don't know. But like some games certainly do. I experience a lot in my family meta. Uh, like, yeah, like the fact that Voltron can be a strategy is the strongest argument for it. I like having an inevitability thing, a cap that prevents something like an infinite life gain combo from just feeling like, it, all right, I guess the game's over unless someone else can find a combo too. And, and and also, I guess really the last thing is that my mom plays a Voltron deck. My mom likes commander damage. So boom, people have better <laughs> deal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, Tasha's coming to get you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Watch out for those Dragonlord Ojitais. <laughs> This is the weirdest defense I'll ever give. Well, that, that settles it. Jo Joey's mom likes it. It's staying around. Sheldon, Gavin, all you, I hope you're all listening because <laughs> Joey's mom likes it. Watch out. All right.
<laughs> so yeah, no, I think that there would be nothing but bad if that rule were removed. I, I think that it's a nice, unique thing. The juice isn't worth the squeeze, as Mr. Lee Kwai would say. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. The the prevalence of life gain or the dreadfulness or the hopelessness of playing against life gain, I feel like we would actually feel that uh, pretty rough and in, in a way that wouldn't feel as conducive or as, as fun. And I, I don't think that that would be a good future for commander players. And I'm willing to take the nuisance of tracking commander damage as opposed to the hopelessness of I can't beat a person who's at 400 life now. So uh, what do I do? I guess I have to play more combos in my decks, which isn't a thing I wanted to do in the first place. That kind of deal. Um, but you know what, Dana, we've had two of our what ifs. How about you put forward one of yours? Uh, sure. So so my what if here is what if any legendary card could be your commander? And, and this is usually mm. something people posit in defense of making Planeswalker commanders. Oh. Um, <sighs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the thing <laughs> I always come back to with this is is taking a look at the EDH rec most popular commanders list. Um, you know, there's been a whole ton of like legendary elves over the years, but there's a reason the Lathriel Blade of the Elves is one of the most popular commanders in the last several years. Okay. And that's because it's crazy powerful. There's multiple dragon commanders including a five color dragon commander in sign of the ur dragon and there's a reason the ur dragon is the one of the most popular commanders ever printed there's a reason kenrith and edgar markov and korvald people pick commanders that are super super strong and that's what they'll do for planeswalkers and none <laughs> of them have been vetted or planned out around being commander in your command zone so all you'll see is a bunch of people playing busted planeswalker commanders not everybody there's going to be someone you know who like really enjoys playing who really thinks tybalt's a cool card and they want to play <laughs> the bad two mana tybalt people will do that absolutely but you're also going to wind up going against a bunch of busted degenerate planeswalkers in the command zone and you can already do that, I guess, with your friends if they want to rule zero. But it doesn't sound very fun to go to your LGS and just have to deal with Narset Wheelocks or something. Dude, they, I was just going to say that. Narset Parter avails each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn. Sounds like a miserable thing to be in the command zone every single game. Like, oh my god. <laughs> well, but there's also some precedence here, too. Uh, the fact that Oathbreaker kind of was a thing but hasn't really taken off into the mainstream mm. is probably a little bit of a hint of why this probably isn't the greatest idea um, now that's specifically addressing planeswalkers I, I personally don't think any of the tamios would be particularly fun to play against either <laughs> they're all just very very tuned very low to the ground there are yes i'm there are some planeswalkers that would be fine but if we're talking about like any legendary card I really don't want to face Ursa's Ruinous Blast every other turn. That also sounds just terribly unfun. Or Karn's Temporal Sundering, some of those types of cards. So it, I am very appreciative of the fact that the rules committee kind of stuck to their guns and said it has to be a legendary creature, not any legendary permanent or any legendary card, because I don't want to, to live in a world <laughs> where some of these cards that weren't ever meant to be put in a command zone suddenly can be. My, the Great Henge is my commander. Bolas' Citadel is my commander. No, yeah, just <laughs> rightly just GTFO. And, and even just lingering on the Planeswalkers, like Narset is an easy-to-grab example of like wheel locks that would shut a game down. But like I don't think that I would be any more happy if like Karn, the one who turns off all mana rocks, was a commander either. Or Teferi Time Raveler, making everything only able to happen at sorcery speed. Also sounds kind of eh. Ugin the Spirit Dragon... Probably not the most. Teferi, Master of Time, the one who can activate every single turn and goes up to take extra turns. Seems pretty dangerous to me to be in, in the command zone. Maybe just not the type of experience. Oko. I don't want an Oko every game. I don't want to go back to Throne of Eldraine standard. I don't think anyone wants that. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's kind of a kind of a, a, a harsh take for me as far as I'm going to get. I, I think that that would be a very bad rule it, to the point that I would probably... I, I don't know that I would want to keep up with Commander. That That is the what if for me. Like, if that happened... I, I might be like, you know what? I'm going to go play some other games. I'm going to go play Splendor. I'm going to go play Betrayal at House of the Hill tonight instead because... And for people who do want to play, like, who who do want to play something with, with that Narsa Wheels lock, presumably your friends are cool with that too and want to play that way, so they probably will let you. And for the person who wants to play two-mana Tybalt, 
your friends probably don't care about that either. Like rule zero does does cover both those situations. And the ones that where they don't cover, which is like maybe playing with a group of strangers who isn't too wild about playing against your narset, there's probably a reason for that too. So like, I, I think this is a, a perfect example of a situation where rule zero just takes care of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no, okay. That, that's also very fair. But, you know, at the same time, Umazabajite as a commander, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just like uh, God Pharaoh's statue as a commander. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're open up cans of worms here. Like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, absolutely. Rule zero is is gonna keep this absolutely in check. If you if you play a planeswalker Xenagos, I can't imagine too many people at at a Magic Fest saying I don't. I'm not okay with that. And even if you want to play that, just have a backup legendary creature I can slot in there. But either, I think this keeps so much very unfun circumstances off of tables and i'm very appreciative for this yeah very much and very interesting and there are more hypothetical scenarios for us to imagine too but before we get to those we are going to stay very cemented in this universe and do the thing that we love to do which is challenge the stats let's take a quick break for that hey i'm nolan sykes a host of past gas the number one automotive podcast in the world Every week, my co-hosts, James Pumphrey, Joe Weber, and I bring you some of our favorite stories from the hollowed halls of car history. From the amazing, to the weird, to the utterly unforgettable moments, we cover it all. Join us as we take a look at the wild stories and larger-than-life characters behind legendary cars and car makers. So if you love cars or just like a good story, check out Past Gas by Donut Media, the number one automotive podcast in the world. So, Dana, how about you start us off for Challenge the Stats this week? Because there's a bunch of data on EDHREC, but we don't always agree with it. You know, cards see too much or too little play. So how about you start us off with your challenge? Certainly. I'm going to start talking about a relatively new card, actually, from from Baldur's Gate, a, a, a set that we were all kind of fans of, even if maybe the general community didn't love it quite as much as we did. Um <laughs> But first, I'm going to talk about the card Spark Double from War of the Spark that's in 70,000 decks. Spark Double is uh, three and a blue, and it's a creature that comes into play as a copy of any creature or planeswalker you control, except for it's not legendary, and it gets an additional counter. Loyalty counter if it's a planeswalker, plus one counter if it's a creature. Spark Double is very, very useful, and it's in 70,000 decks as a result. 70,000 decks. Arenicus's Vile Duplication, yes. same CMC. It's a sorcery. Um, doesn't put the plus one counter and it can't counter, it can't copy a planeswalker. So the, the utility is a little bit more limited. Um, but it's only in 7,000 decks right now. Um, and it also makes a copy that isn't legendary. So if you are playing a deck that's running spark double primarily because you want to duplicate your commanders, basically as a card, if you want a second copy of that commander, there's not a lot of ways to do that. Spark double isn't a lot of decks because it's one of the few ways to do that. This is another way to do that. And at some point you were going to see vile duplication probably approach the levels of spark double and approach the price of spark double, which is already like a 15 ish dollar card. Um, It should see more play. And if you're ever thinking about doing that, I would recommend picking up a copy of it now while it's relatively cheap because as we've seen from Spark Double, those things don't always stay that way. It's a pretty in-demand effect. There's not a lot of things that do it. Renekus's Vile Duplication is a really, really decent card, and it should see more play, and it eventually will. Dana, yes. This card is so good. You can populate those tokens. Absolutely. You can put, put this in an Adrix and Nev deck where it doubles all of the tokens and then you keep making more copies of your commander and you go to the M. Tinquillionth of, of multiple commanders on, on making extras of these. This card's amazing. Like, here, here's a what if. What if people actually, like, liked Baldur's Gate? We promised the cards in that set are very good, people. <laughs> well, and this this is also, it's a $2 uncommon. That's, for, for an uncommon, that's that's getting up there. But yeah, I, Dana, I love this challenge. Uh, I had two of them in my Baldur's Gate pre-release kit. Oh, it's disgusting. And holy jeebers, this card <laughs> yes. did work. It is it is very, very good. If you need copy effects, if you just want to make a copy of some just very, very good creature, it's a really good choice. There's so many commanders that can take advantage of this card. Yeah. And one thing I will quick point out as well with it is because it isn't legendary, despite the thing of copying generally being legendary, that then makes it easier to copy <laughs> that creature yes. with something that doesn't care about that. So like, you know, you maybe wouldn't want to normally run clone in a deck where you're 
caring about copying your commander because it would die being a legend. But if you've got duplication and spark double in a deck, well, then it makes the other clone effects that much more viable since you can copy the thing that isn't a legendary that's already copied the legendary thing. Yes, absolutely. That Card good. Play card. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's interesting that you would mention copy stuff because my challenge this week is also about copying effects, uh, specifically for Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief decks. And it actually involves a card, a commander, but in this case, it would be a card in the 99 uh, that I just mentioned a second ago. And that's Adrix and Nev Twincasters once again. So Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief is that amazing new Simic commander from Dominaria United, which already has over 1100 decks to its name. And it it has really captured people's imaginations because whenever a player casts a spell that only targets one creature and that target isn't Ivy, you can, if you want to, make a copy of that spell that will target Ivy. So you can use a whole bunch of like small cantrips, for example, that will target one of your other creatures and then you can copy it and that cantrip will also hit Ivy. Or if you're using especially auras or the fun thing to do is mutate creatures, you can get multiple copies of those too. But critically, this is important to note with Adrix and Nev, which are showing up in about a fifth of the Ivy decks that have been built so far 20 percent of ivy decks contain adrix and nev twin casters and this is an important non-bow to be aware of adrix and nev twin casters say if one or more tokens would be created under your control twice that many of those tokens are created instead and this at first seems like it would work with ivy's effect because when you are making those copies the copies become tokens but this doesn't count as creating a token this is the thing that we've mentioned before for commanders like volo the guide to monsters when you are copying a permanent spell that is on the stack it enters the battlefield as a token but that is not the same thing as creating a token this is a very important difference it's entering from the stack and so adrix and nev doesn't do anything for ivy decks so the fifth of ivy decks that are currently playing adrix and nev take it out, save your money, take Adrix out of that brainstorm list. You don't need it for this commander. It does not do what you want it to do. Token doubling effects like parallel lives are not going to help out here. Instead, you'll want to probably use more stuff like, I don't know, twinning staff. That one would work because it is amplifying the stuff that you're copying right there on the stack when the spells are cast. So important rules non-bow to be aware of if you're playing some sick Simic decks. Okay, I think that's about it for me. So Matt, how about you round us out with your challenge? Well, my challenge this week actually isn't my challenge. So Thomas Van Dam sent us an email. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't Jean-Claude, who is Thomas's cousin, obviously. Um, <laughs> wow. But Thomas Van Dam sent us an email and actually had a very, very good challenge that, honestly, I never had thought of before. And I'm kind of ashamed. But also, that's why we appreciate our listeners to keep us honest and give us these great challenges. So this week, uh, Thomas Van Dam sent us an email and said, Aetherflex Reservoir in Emoti, the Celebrant of Bounty decks, is being underplayed. And when you think about it, that's absolutely correct. So Emoti, Celebrant of Bounty, is three in Simic for a 3-1 that has Cascade itself. And then spells you cast with converted mana cost six or greater also have Cascade. And in case you've been living under a rock, Aetherflex Reservoir is four mana for an artifact that says whenever you cast a spell, you gain one life for each spell you've cast this turn. And it also has the ability to, to pay 50 life, and Aetherflex Reservoir deals 50 damage to any target. So, Thomas Van Dam points out, it's not on EDH rec when you're searching for a Modi, which means it's in a very, very low percentage of decks. And while Aetherflex Reservoir is very, very fun and a very powerful win con, in Cascade decks, it just scales incredibly well. If you cast one spell with Cascade, you get two triggers, which means you're going to gain three life. And if you Cascade twice, it's just going to keep going up exponentially. The more spells that you cast with Cascade, the more triggers you're going to get with Aetherflux Reservoir. And this is a fantastic point. I had always thought of, you know, the Spell Slinger decks is what's going to benefit from this, where you kind of storm off and then you're able to pay a bunch of life. But when you're casting spells with Cascade, you're also getting cast triggers, which are going to trigger Aetherflex Reservoir. This is just a fantastic point and a fantastic observation that a lot of people aren't noticing. Um, only 8% of Cascade decks in general, and Aetherflex Reservoir is not a cheap card anymore. It's $15, so it's relatively pricey compared to a lot of other artifacts out there. But if you're looking for an absolute value card that also can double as a win con, this is a fantastic choice if you have a whole bunch of Cascade in your decks. Emoti Celebrant obviously is very, very good, but anything with Cascade, really, you're, you're going to get a whole lot of bang for your buck here. So thank you, Thomas, also for the email, but especially this fantastic challenge. That is fun. Oh, man. Aetherflux Reservoir. Speaking of life gain decks being totally bonkers, as if they needed any more help, let's make sure that commander damage stays a thing. Right? Right? Is that... 
Yeah? No? No? I, I can't tell if Matt mm-hmm. is shaking his head or nodding at me. Um, so maybe we'll just move on. I'm just kind of shaking my head in disbelief a little bit because Aetherflux Reservoir didn't need any help getting good, but <laughs> here we are. But here you, you're you're trying to make it even better. By I'm, I'm just making it even... I, I'm not making it better. Thomas Van Damme is. Ah, there, there you go. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, let's get back to a couple more uh, commander hypotheticals. And Dana, how about we start off with you for the second half of the show? What is another commander what-if that might occur to you that could be fun for the format, could be uh, detrimental to the format? Uh, what, what's in your brain? Uh, this is one that I've heard a few times. What if there was no maximum deck size? So... Minimum deck size of 100 cards, there, there's a logic to that, particularly in a singleton format. It, it, it kind of makes sure we see a lot of diversity in play. Um, but why can't you have 101 cards or 115 or 200 cards or, or whatever crazy amount you want to run? Um, uh, that seems pretty reasonable to me, to be honest. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it will allow it would allow me to be lazy and be like, oh, I can't make this cut. I was going to stay down to two. <laughs> I mean, like I, that's what I would do with it. I wouldn't like you know try to build a battle of wills deck or anything. I would just be lazy. I was just going to say battle of yeah. wits. Two hundred cards left in my deck. Yes, make it happen. Absolutely. Make but it like, happen. if you can shuffle it and you're not going to annoy everyone with this giant stack of cards at your deck, like if you can, if you're willing to wrestle it around, I mean, that doesn't seem unreasonable to me. I and hey, uh, Yorion could also be a, an actual companion because you'd be able to have the starting deck that has 20 plus cards over the the usual minimum deck size. Right. So, you know, there are things, those don't sound like negatives to me. And I agree with you. Sometimes it would be nice to be like, oh, you know what? This deck's at 103 cards. I'll worry about it later. I, I don't need to worry too much about it. And, 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 oh man. And, th- oh, I like this. Dana, I like this one. I mean, mathematically speaking, the, the less amount of cards you have in the deck, the easier it is to like, find your win condition, develop whatever plan you have to develop. Um, so like the more cards you run, you're, you're just dil- kind of diluting your pool to a degree. There's no real upside to it other than fun. It's like that seems to me to be a – when we're talking about changes, I, I always feel like so many of the changes people suggest are geared towards wanting to be more powerful, wanting to make the game play more like existing formats we already have that play a certain way, and I, I don't get that. Mm-hmm. This is one that goes the other direction. This is one that makes things even goofier, and it's not going to really affect me at all. Like I, I would probably still, for the, unless I said being lazy, but like – if you want to do that, I, I, there's not a lot of downside to it, I guess, in terms of how the game plays. So th- this is one I'm pretty open to. Well, and if we want to talk about rules that sound good on paper but are impossible to implement in execution, this one absolutely is implementable. Yeah, uh, for sure. 60 card formats, 40 card formats, they already have this as a rule. You have no, no. minimum. You have a minimum deck size. You can't go below 99 cards or 100, counting your commander, but you can go up to however many you want. So yeah, you can play those Battle of Wits types cards. So yeah, there there is already that example that has been set. The ruling is pretty straightforward. And so I don't mind this rule. I know I probably would not play this, but I know there's a ton of people that absolutely would play 200 card decks without Battle of Wits. They just would play 200 card decks. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so so the, the fun factor's here, but I, I don't... <laughs> To me, there's not a whole lot of downside to this rule change. I, 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 oh man, I think the thing that would give me the biggest boon, especially, isn't even like encouraging my laziness, which might not be a boon now that I think about it. Um, (laughs) But the thing that I think would actually be like the most fun would actually be for like theme decks. Like they release brand new Liliana specific cards or, or Jace cards or Chandra cards every single year because these are very prominent characters. So if you're building a Chandra theme deck, for example, shout out to Chase, Mana Curves, co editor. Love you, Chandra Tribal. Absolutely here for it. That deck's fire, literally and figuratively. Quite literally, yes. <laughs> and like Chase has lamented, you know, it's hard to make cuts in this deck because you want to keep it Chandra theme, but you also like can't fit every single Chandra card they've ever made. And if there wasn't a limit on like you have to have exactly 99 cards, I don't know, more freedom to be like, I'll play literally all of the Chandra cards, all of the Liliana cards, literally every single Jace card and still have room for other fun stuff that you might want to throw in. I mean, you have to be careful about making sure that you increase your land count to go along with it. But like, yeah, I think that that would be the thing I'd feel most rewarded by is like, theme decks would feel like they have even more freedom to actually be theme decks when you can play all of the stuff that you wanted to, even if it becomes a big jank pile. I mean, it's going to be a jank pile anyway, so why why not? Bigger is better. Like, why not? Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm super into it. 
It is worth noting that right now, every mill player listening to this podcast is yelling at us because <laughs> um, it would make their life more difficult, I guess, in some situations. Oh, no, um, you're so right. There is a downside, I suppose, it's worth noting. But like other than that, um, yeah. I mean, I, I also don't think that there, a, there's that many mill players out there. Okay. <laughs> all six of all six players that are building dedicated. Mill there's 6,000 of them. Guys, we have EDH rec data. We can actually look up the numbers, <laughs> but also too, I, I, yes, there would be some people that would just go absolutely ham with throwing every card that they could think of in the deck. But I don't think too many people would. I think a lot of folks would still follow the tried and true 99 cards yes. plus your commander. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, it would hurt every now and then, but that's going to be the same as any other rule change that we have. And on the subject of of mill, like traumatize still scales to that. True. Like, cut true. your losses. Yeah. yeah. Cuts the library in half still scales to that. And Bruvac still makes that lethal if you're going to pair up with that. And those are pretty famous, like accidentally like combos in, in mill decks that already naturally crop up. And so I don't, I, I think that it would be frustrating. Yes. Like the average Phoenix deck is going to be like, all right, that guy's got 120. Uh, right. she, she's playing 130 <laughs> over there. All right. So this is a slightly more uphill battle, but I've got my backup plans here. My Bruvac and my traumatizer are ready to go if I find them. So, mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I think that, 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 that yeah, yeah, there's, <laughs> that was a good addendum to point out. That's a good asterisk to point out on it, Dana, but I did get a little bit lost in the sauce there. So thank you for bringing me back down to earth. So, so I'll you joey what, what do you have for for one here uh this so th- this one will be a little bit more i don't know if you and i are going to agree on this one dana but i kind of want to talk about like pre-con mana bases because i see a lot of uh, in room for improvement in pre-con mana bases and i also see a lot of discussion about uh like the type i guess really i mean like the types of things that can be reprinted in pre-cons so there are a lot of very expensive cards out there that we are sometimes frustrated don't get reprinted more often to help keep their prices in check and we most often see this in the form of the pre-con mana bases where like even looking back to the uh to the new Capenna precons that we got, like the Anhelo deck has stuff like foreboding ruins in it and choked estuary. And it's just like, sorry, not sorry. These are not great lands for a commander deck. And it'd be nice to see a little bit less of those, please. I still remain baffled that the battle bond lands don't regularly show up in precons. Like, uh, th- that's a no-brainer to me. It's a multiplayer format. Like you should put these under the precons. Why are they not there? Like, do y'all remember when the Shadowmore filter lands used to be $30? like Waterlogged Grove or whatever it's called, used to be $30. And then it got a couple of extra reprintings, including in precons, and now it's three bucks. Like more of that, please. But at the same time, I don't want fetch lands in, in precons either. Like that that's a difficult thing. So like, I'm kind of interested in a what if situation of like, what if those like crazy, big, very expensive cards did get reprinted more often in precons, including in mana bases, or if stuff like the Smothering Tides were more regularly reprinted in, in precons, or even stuff like Demonic Tutor, what y'all think would happen because i think there's a lot of good that could happen from amping it up a little but i think there's also a lot of bad there and it's a a a more nuanced conversation that i wanted to open up there's two ways to look at this what would be nice and and what is a realistic thing to expect from a profit-based company and (laughs) the reality is and and this isn't i I said the same thing uh, because we discussed mana bases in in, in pre-context recently on on my other show commander central and i made the same point there but i'll make it again here because that's relevant I'm not defending the decisions made by by a company in the name of profit. I'm just noting that that's how things work, right? I'm just mm. making a point about reality. And the reality is they're never going to put lands that they can sell that have a secondary market value of, you know, 10 or $12 that will make people want to buy booster packs. They're just not going to put a bunch of those into a pre-con deck. They want to maintain that value to sell packs elsewhere and I'm not defending that. I'm just noting that's the reality. <laughs> so we're just not going to get very many of those cards ever in a in a precon mana base deck at all. That said, they definitely could make those mana bases better without having to resort to put putting two hundred dollars worth of of relatively expensive dual lands into these decks. So I I am kind of torn here. Precons, they, they continue to get better, the land bases included. If you look at the Dominary United precons that they put out, there weren't any guild gates. There weren't any just absolute just dumpster lands that they included. <laughs> so they are getting better. But also, it's also something that you it's, – it's very clear – that is kind of showing to new players, this is how you can upgrade the deck. The the mana base is there. 
And also they're constantly putting out new, 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 new rare land cycles. So whether it's the uh, Innistrad cycle that we got the last time we went to Innistrad with Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt, those lands were absolutely great. We're getting new ones all the time. And so the land bases are so customizable, whether you're looking for the absolute tip top or you're looking for kind of a modest budget mana base, there's a lot of room for you to kind of play around in that space. So the mana bases themselves, I, I'm fine with the progress they're making. I'm not the I'm not the main target for precons. Like I'm not buying them because I'm trying to get into the format, but also it kind of gives people a a roadmap on how to upgrade them. I'm more important. I'm more concerned with is the deck going to be playable out of the box? And and by and large, mm. the past three years preconstructed decks have been very playable outside the box. With reprints though, going in at, in the non land slots, that's a whole other can of worms. Yeah, <laughs> could they be doing better? Because they they have done better, but also. When we are putting Cyclonic Rift in precons or Demonic Tutor, they're not great for the new player experience. And mm. if they're if they're going to put very cool new cards into those precons instead of the reprints, and then just continue to find additional reprint outlets like they have been doing, that's a trade off I personally am okay with. I know I don't have the most popular opinion on that, but I like seeing all these new cards coming out in pre constructed decks. That's one thing that gets me excited and and actually paying attention to the pre-constructed decks because there's so many other reprint outlets. There's so many reprint sets that to me personally, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I know I don't have the most popular opinion here, but I like kind of what they're doing with pre-cons lately. I'm, I'm with you there. I do like, I want the mana bases to be better. Like to me, it's a little bit laughable that the pain bow pre-con had like the slow fetches in it, like mountain Valley. Like, I think if you're going to put fetch lands into a mana base, I don't know. There's something that's a little bit off there for me. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but for the record, I also don't want like actual fetch lands, like the you know the actual misty rainforests and, and stuff like that in precons. Because again, I don't like shuffling, and I really don't want to make new players have to shuffle a brand new deck while they're still learning the rules. So, th- so yeah. seeing the slow fetches in there was a little bit like I don't know, you guys. I'm not I'm not crazy about those. So I would love to see you know I, I, the, the the land bases always get a little bit a little bit more zhuzh, as, as you might say, but. I don't want new players to have to deal with a cyclonic rift when they're sitting down trying to learn how to play. I don't want a new player, like a new player casting a tutor. No, no, it's just, it's, it's not a good feel. I've taught a lot of players how to play the game and just like asking someone to look through their entire deck for any card that they want. It puts a lot of stress, anxiety. Like you don't know how this deck works. What exactly am I going to do? Like those are not a great place. And even some cards like a smothering tithe, which can by rights sometimes take over an entire game uh. or a shards is a card I want to see reprinted. And I also don't want it in a precon because it's been in a precon before and it was not, it it doesn't lead to as much fun for folks. Like there are cards that we want reprinted, but yeah, I like a new player experience is a thing that is very much worth protecting to make sure that they like the experience so that they can have more fun playing more of the things. And so that's, that's a difficult balance. Nobody here is saying they shouldn't reprint cards. We're saying we need to find the right places for them because the new player experience I think is incredibly valuable for continuing to grow commander and having that ruined by an aura shards absolutely is going to make people be like, well, this is stupid. I'm going to go play Hearthstone or whatever other game there is that's available to them. And really, this is a reality that I think is also very important for us to contend with. Like, let's let's say that they did have a lot more juiced reprints in precons going forward, for example. Well, I think that the reality of that what if situation would be that we have another true name nemesis situation on our hands where these decks become difficult for new players to even acquire in the first place because they're all being sapped up by a lot of other players who are very excited to get those high value reprints and like we want these to be accessible to players too so that's why it has to be a very delicate balance i'm not necessarily happy about this but i i am just saying i don't want more true name nemesis situations on our hands where the decks have chase cards that establish players try and grab a whole lot more and that doesn't leave as much for new players to be able to access so that that is the thing to to go back to the land base just for a second i I think the the biggest place they go wrong with the land bases is they include lands that I think give new players the impression that these are good cards by including them. And that's not really a thing they do, I think, with non-land cards. Yeah, there's not the best version of a thing, but like you can look at it and like, oh, this is a good thing because it's in the deck, so maybe a, an even better one will be in will, will be the thing I want to replace it with, right? Hmm. Lands doesn't really work that way. 
I don't. I, I'm. I'm not as as against Temple of the False God as some people. I do think it's there's decks where you maybe you do want to consider running it, but the fact that they put it in every precon for a lot of years gave a lot of players the impression that that was a good card. That it and and it's it's not a good card in in a lot of situations. <laughs> and I think they they continue to have done that by you know putting a ton of cycling lands in decks or putting in guild gates. I think I think. They've created this impression that that some of these bad cards are are better than they are, particularly like a two color deck. They'd be better off just running basic lands and running guild gates on a ton of those those two color decks. But by including them, they've given the impression to newer players that you're better off running a tapped duel than you are just running a basic. And I think that's where they've tended to go wrong with some of these mana bases is by putting in those cards that I think give new players a false impression about whether or not you should be playing them or not. Gotcha. No, I, I feel that. I know that you don't like cycling lands, for example. That is a the monocolored cyclers are certainly not your favorite. You don't like seeing those in precons. Yes, but yeah, those are a perfect example. I mean, they, I think they they kind of teach the wrong lessons. I think to to newer players, especially. Yeah, there, there's an interesting dynamic there that is a good. That's a good contrast to point out. Like the the ways that cards that are non lands in a deck. Uh, do feel like they're a lot more upgradable, whereas like seeing the routes to improve with the land base is a little bit harder for new players to yeah. be able to to figure out. So that's a good thing to keep in mind. And that's why, Watsi, when it comes to this what if, if you just put more battle bond lands into the precons, I mean, I'm sorry if it hurts your bottom line or whatever about re- reprint equity, but like you'd have a lot of really happy players, including this one right here. Or if you don't want to do that because you want to keep that reprint equity, finish the Odyssey filter land cycle. Those are mm-hmm. the, like the, the five <laughs> that exist right now are, are 40 cent cards and are in every precon. Give us the other half of that cycle or give us some more of the like some version of the tainted land cycle or something like there's lands they could put in those decks that aren't terrible that also aren't going to affect other formats at all. And no one's going to be no one who has an established deck is going to be cracking precons to buy the white version of a tainted land or something or to buy those Odyssey filters. <laughs> but they are going to be good in those precon decks for new players. I mean, I still think that the the check lands and the battle for Zendikar lands, whatever we ended up calling those. Yeah, yeah, those are great. Both of those land cycles, I think, should be in pretty much every precon for all the colors. For yeah, they're they're all two three bucks, and I think those should absolutely be in there. So like the Dragon Skull Summits, the Cinder Glades, those types of land cycles, mm-hmm. I think are perfect for precons, but they're also perfectly serviceable for literally any deck. I play those land cycles in all of my decks, all of them. Yeah, and I I have I have the like top tier fetch and OG dual lands. In some of my decks, and I'm playing those land cycles I just mentioned alongside those. They're perfectly ser- serviceable lands. I think this should be in every precon, and it's not like they're losing a whole bunch of reprint equity there because they've been in so many core sets. They've been all over the place. They're all yep. three to five dollars, and that's just value for the new player. Blue, white, talisman. <laughs> why? Why was it not reprinted for like four <laughs> eligible precons in a row? Right. Uh, anyway, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot that goes into the precon thing, and that's that's what I wanted to like kind of inject into the conversation because I, th- I think especially online you see a lot of like just the extreme takes or just the opposite extreme takes or whatever, and it's like this isn't helpful. Mm-hmm. Like there is a line that has to be tread carefully here, but I still think that it can be done better than it historically has been, and I think that will also always be true, which is why we have to push for a, a little bit. Better, a little bit more improvement all of the time they have gotten better we still want to see more but i i also want to make sure that we all as an audience know that there's an extent to which they can go before it would it might ruin the new player experience matt as, as you pointed out but anyway that's been a lot about my hypothetical matt how about we move to your last hypothetical what do you got so i have one that i know one deck would love but then i know also it's probably a good thing that it shouldn't be happening so what if there was no command tax so Whenever you cast your commander the first time, you get to cast it for its regular printed CMC. But for every time you cast it after the first time, you have to pay two more generic mana in order to recast it. And then it scales up so it adds two more for every extra time that you're casting it. So Valduk, Keeper of the Flame, one of my favorite commanders. Been, I've been around for so long. <laughs> uh, that card gets killed a lot. Valduk doesn't get to stick around. And so it scales up pretty quickly. And that deck would just love if it only ever had to pay three mana for its commander. What do you guys think if I was allowed to do that? I, I think it would be nice, I mean, to see Food Chain finally be playable. <laughs> wow. <laughs> How do you really feel, Dana? I've oh, no. suffered for so long, finally gets a chance in the spotlight then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... 
I like thematically the punishment of of command tax. Mm-hmm. I don't, and and I don't know that. Um, what is it? The Sadisi that exploits herself to tutor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that she needs to get even better about that. Um, that's. That, that, I think that's generally where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, and there's quite a few commanders in the game that like are the, the the pod is only tolerable because you sit down and you're like, okay, there's a if all of us pay attention, we can make sure this commander doesn't get a chance to do anything, and the game's only playable because of that. <laughs> like, like I, there there's situations where that occurs, and in removing that that check and balance on that insanely powerful commander. Um, would make it just that much stronger. You know, yes, it would probably help out that poor, you know, eight mana commander that you're playing from back in the first Kamigawa block. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a little bit easier to play, I guess. But like, that would be 1% of the of, of the people out there. Everyone else is just going to be, it's going to make those those super strong commanders just that much stronger. Yeah, the the four Vishkal Blood Arbiter decks are just rejoicing over the thought of that. Right, that, exactly. I, and yes, I, I I said Valduk in jest, but it, it is interesting to see what would probably benefit the most. Like, I think if this rule ever changed, Danny, you're absolutely correct. Food Chain gets the axe. There's no way that can just stick around just <laughs> full stop. But also anything that's super aggressive just probably becomes too strong, I would say. I, I feel like the main thing would be stuff like, I don't know, I, like as funny as it would be to see Hope of Garipur cast multiple times in a single turn. Um, I, I think actually the main problem would be like Uro or Kroxa, which like automatically sacrifice mm-hmm. themselves and give just like tons of benefits. And if you don't have uh, like attacks on that, that gets a little bit out of hand in a way that probably isn't fun. And it just feels repetitive. And I think that you'd probably end up seeing a lot more of the like a commander that has a, a big enter the battlefield effect, for example. And then you have like some Phyrexian alter stuff that will help you immediately uh sacrifice it give you the mana to replay it immediately um like prosh goes even more insane uh probably with that as well uh yeah i don't know but but i like the point that you're getting at where like this a rules change of some kind that might make it easier to play high mana decks like if you didn't have to worry that oh next time i cast my seven mana commander it's going to be nine mana I am with you that it would be really lovely to have something that made that less of a daunting experience because I want to see a lot more seven mana commanders in the games that I play because right now I see barely any. And maybe that will be a scaling command tax. Like if your commander has a CMC of seven or more or six or more or something, then your command tax is one instead of two. Or, you know, the first time you recast it, it's one instead of two or something. There's probably a, there's maybe a line you could walk in there somewhere versus eliminating it that would benefit those higher CMC commanders without really providing a huge advantage to the already really broken and powerful ones. But <laughs> even then, there's going to be some exception where, you know, hey, Ur-Dragon technically costs, what, 10? But really doesn't. Like, there's there's enough workarounds for that already in the game as well. Well, and that's that's always the problem with it, too. Even, like, Dana, you just pointed out a very nuanced rule right there. And unfortunately, the reality of the way that, like, Commander is known by player bases is that the rules kind of have to be really straightforward. Yes. Like, for a long time, for example, I was insufferably on team hybrid mana. Let's change that rule. And that wasn't that wasn't a cute look, Joe. Past <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> check, check yourself before you idiot track yourself. Um, because, like, the, the reality is, is that there are plenty of players out there who still, for example, think that band as a commander is a thing. There are a lot of players who don't know what the CAG is or what the rules committee is or the full ban list. Like that's why any rules changes that do happen have to be very clean, very precise and leaving room for confusion or misinterpretation is very, very difficult. And I don't think that there's any way that a hybrid mana rule, for example, could change where it wouldn't lead to tons of confusion. And I feel the same way for this. If there was a different version of commander tax that scaled or relied on certain numbers, there's no way that that wouldn't be the most confusing thing. And it would yeah. take forever for that information to disseminate anyway. So I, I so I guess it, before we wrap up then, of all the questions that we talked about, what do you think is the most fundamentally important rule as is? What do you mean? Uh, so, so important just to the to the format surviving and being as just enjoyable overall. Like, if there was one that you said absolutely not, we're not changing no matter what. What would you What would you pick? Ooh, I mean, I guess I mentioned color identity, and I feel like that's one that I'm just like, man, I really appreciate this. Like, don't get me wrong, I wish I could break color identity. I would love to resummon angels in my black reanimator decks, but it's probably a good thing that I actually am forced to be more creative 
that I am I'm, I'm forced to to work in a very specific um, limitation because that breeds the creativity, as they say. So that might be the thing that I I would put forward as one of the most core identities. Probably, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. What about you, Dana? Yeah, no, I tend to agree with that as well. I, I like that particular restriction. I think it's one of those unique things that set Commander apart from other formats. And I, I, I don't. I think that's one of the beautiful things about Commander. That's one of the things I love about it. And I don't think making it conform more to the existing formats is a positive thing necessarily. I like it being this this Austin is weird kind of thing out here on the side that's yep. different from everything else. And sanding off the edges, I don't think is necessarily beneficial. I, I would agree. The, 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 the color identity being a unique thing and a, a pretty big part of Commander is pretty important to me. And I, I would not want to see that change at all. Yeah. Matt, do you have an answer? I do like that color identity is such a big thing for the format. But I also... I think I would have to say that the legendary creatures are your commander oh, is probably yeah. one that it probably sticks out to me as the most iconic yeah. thing because you're building a deck more often than not around this iconic thing and you're getting to build a kind of a, a shrine that is your deck around this legendary creature that's sticking there and and executing the thing. And so I I still am a big fan of a legendary creature in the command zone preferably not a, a <laughs> legendary sorcery or a planeswalker. That's just my stance on it. Preferably not Narset. Pre- yeah, hopefully not Narset with Windfalls or or whatever else. Um, I, I like having that legendary creature there as long as it's not Turgrid. <laughs> oh my God. No, Matt, that actually, I'm, I'm changing my answer. Sorry, Dana. I'm leaving you for Matt's answer. Uh, <laughs> because no, that I literally said like, mm, I wouldn't enjoy Commander if that was a, a, a rule change. I would literally... I literally said that earlier. That should have been my answer, Matt. You're absolutely right. That is a, a good thing. It's because I'm prettier than Dana. I, I get it. It's because you're <laughs> Van Dana. Uh, all right. I have, I have one. Van Dana. I have one last what if. One last. This is me being cheeky. What do you guys think would happen if EDH Rec had never existed? Matt, <laughs> what, what, what is the, the what if if there was never such a thing as EDH Rec? <laughs> Honestly, like somebody would have done, if it wasn't EDH Rex, something else would have come along that was the same thing. Yeah. There's a lot of smart people out there. Like somebody would have figured out how to make, if it's not EDH recommendations, it would have been like EDH suggestions or something. So you'd be listening to EDH Sugcast and that just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. Hello, welcome to the EDH Sugcast. <laughs> I remember year, years ago, you know, when I when I was first playing World of Warcraft and, and somebody I knew complaining about, I think it was Wowhead was a World of Warcraft site that like- I remember Wowhead. Tr- tracked a lot of data, like, and, and, and you could look up on Wowhead, this particular spell had this kind of a damage ratio per, you know, how long it took to cast, whatever. Like you could break that data down in a way that wasn't, inherently available mm. in the game itself. And I remember the person getting mad, like this game was a lot more fun before we, you know, could min max and figure out what spells were most efficient using Wowhead. I'm like, yeah, but Wowhead didn't, the data was there. Someone was going to do it. If Wowhead didn't do it, it would be Wowrack, <laughs> right? There, there would be a, somebody is going to do that. And it's the same thing with EDH Rack. Like when, in a situation where min maxing data exists, someone is going to put it together. It just so happens that Wildhead did it for a while and EDH Rec did it for EDH. Right. Like, that's just how stats yeah, are. I, 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 this may be a shock to people, but gamers going to game. Yeah, for, exactly. precisely. Right. Like yes. we, as players, we are deeply invested. We are constantly looking for improvements. A tool is just a tool. It's up to the players how they want to use it. And as Josh and the prof uh, have mentioned before, that like, you know, it's a data age. Like we're, we're we're living in an age where people like access to more information, and so this happens to be one of the things that you can exactly. use. And here on the cast, literally, what we do here is talk about like ways that you can look even deeper into the data in the first place. And I'm just really glad that we're called the EDH Retcast, not the EDH Subcast, <laughs> 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 um, because that would be a, that's a what if a world that I'm not sure I would want to be in. But EDH Sug your deck before you EDH stop. P- okay, <laughs> rug your deck. I, I was just I was. I was just trying to figure out a rhyme there, Matt, as he said. That. I was I was thinking before you plug your deck, but that doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> we have gone too far. We have to call this episode to a close. Listeners, we would love to know what you think about these hypotheticals and what other hypothetical situations out there come to your mind. What are other changes and what do you think would happen as a result of those changes or why are things uh do things need to change and why are things good the way that they are and stuff like that like it's it's interesting to examine the format with this lens so oh man okay fellas if our listeners want to get in touch with us 
Matt, where can they find us? Take it away. <laughs> so you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And you can find us on Twitch streaming games every Wednesday evening. It's twitch.tv slash EDH Sugcast. Stop. Uh, <laughs> Not really. EDH Retcast. <laughs> Twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. Uh, we, have ga- we have guests on every single week. Games are always a super fun time. I just It's so much fun, so just make sure you tune in. Wednesday evenings, twitch.tv slash EDH Retcast. Matt, I'm going to linger on that for a second because I know that it was an accidental slip where you were trying to say guests, but you accidentally said gays. And for the record, we do have gays on every episode. And we, it's do, me. we do have ga- we do have gays on there. They're, they're, they're delightful. They're delightful. <laughs> it me anyway it, uh it, it joey anyway dana how about you where can people find you you can find me on twitter at dana roach i'm writing articles for edh tracking commanders herald you can hear me on my other podcast cmdr central and you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash edhrackcast and i'm joey schultz you can find me at joseph m schultz on twitter and you can find the cast at edhrackcast on facebook and on twitter and if you have a question for us you can contact us at edhrackcast at gmail.com Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Mm -hmm.